Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Uh, for the past several weeks, we've been studying the first five chapters of Matthew's version of the Jesus story. And each one of those weeks, I've kind of taken the message and boiled it down to a single word. And that's what appears right back here on our Words with Friends board. And I realized that I just have to stop reviewing it or I preach two entire sermons every week. One is the, the catch up and then uh, the one is, is for today. Today's word is backward. It's the one that goes up and down right there. Backward. Okay. Um, We've been studying the first five chapters of Matthew's version of the Jesus story, but he doesn't just tell the Jesus story. He also tells about the Jesus life that came to characterize the followers of Jesus and that can come to characterize our lives today as well. Matthew presents Jesus as a certain kind of figure. He presents him as this long-promised grand fixer that God was sending into the world to kind of straighten out the mess and make his dreams for this world come true. The Jews had a word for that. The word is Messiah. And so Matthew presents Jesus as this Messiah who came to establish a kingdom, a very real kingdom on this earth. In fact, he came to bring, Matthew says, the kingdom of heaven itself to this earth. That kind of provides a little bit of a collision if you've read the book of Matthew or if you've just lived here and noticed that for some reason, Christianity and this world always end up bumping heads. It's because this world of ours is a messed up, broken place. You may have noticed that, huh? If you haven't gotten the clue yet, just uh, pull out your smartphone and start, uh, go to msn.com and just start scanning the news. And before I get done with my sermon, you will be convinced of the fact that this world is horribly broken and is in need of somebody from heaven or somewhere to come and be the grand fixer who starts to straighten out this mess in this world. But the mess is all that you and I have ever known. And so the mess seems pretty normal to us. Enter the gospel according to Matthew, and you start reading about the kingdom of God, and the kingdom seems like a really strange place, because in some ways, it's backward, and in some ways, it's forward, and in some ways, it's too good to be true, and in some ways, it's just exactly like this world of ours, except turned inside out. It's completely opposite. The kingdom is a strange place to to everyone who first encounters it and who first enters it. But the longer that you live in the kingdom of God, the more right it seems. And it then comes becomes for you the true normal. In fact, after you've lived in the kingdom of God for a while, this world seems a little bit different. You will feel like a stranger in it as you become more and more fit for the kingdom of God. But here's what I've noticed in my life. I, I, I stepped into this kingdom as a small boy, made that deliberate decision when I was six, seven years old, and really haven't looked back since. I've decided I'm living my life as a Christ follower. But here's what I've noticed over the 30, however many years intervening since then, is that whenever I try to live by autopilot in the kingdom, that just does not work very well for very long. What I mean is this, unless I intentionally remind myself daily of kingdom values and kingdom goals and kingdom ways to live, I end up drifting off course and I start to live my life by the old normal. 
And every time I realize that that has happened, I have to have this sort of wake-up moment when I come back to Matthew chapter 5 and I begin reading about the kingdom there. And when I do, it still takes me a few minutes for me to get my bearings about me and get reoriented. At first, Jesus' teaching seems very backward. But after a while, my compass sort of reorients and I start finding my way again. And this stuff that... Jesus speaks about his kingdom starts to make sense instead of feeling so backward to me. How about you? Do you have those times in your life when you feel like, yeah, I'm on course and you're just plowing ahead and then all of a sudden you have one of those wake up moments like, where am I? Feel like you were headed the right direction last time you checked, but you haven't checked for a while and now you're a little bit off course, maybe turned around a bit. If that's the case, then maybe today's message can help you make sense of it the next time that happens in your life. And if you're in that place today, I want to encourage you to listen for God's voice with your heart and your mind today, because I do know this. He wants to help you find your way. And he will speak to you about it this morning, this morning, in the context of this worship service, if you listen for him. Today I want to share with you a passage of scripture in which Jesus introduced kingdom living to his original audience. He made a list of short sayings that just kind of sum it all up for us. And and that whole list together might be summed up with this one phrase. The kingdom seems kind of backward. Stand with me if you would. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 5. Lord, every time we turn our attention to your word... I want to make sure that I'm not just relying on my reading comprehension skills. Yeah, I get subject, predicate, punctuation. I get all of that. But I'm not just looking for that stuff. I want the truth that can genuinely transform my life to become apparent to me. Jesus, you said that if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. I want to be free. So would you shine the light on the truth today so that I can get it? So that my friends here can as well. Your name I pray. Amen. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 5. The scriptures I think many times uh, are best just heard. So why don't you do this? Close your eyes. Just listen. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. He said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. How's that for good news today, huh? God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. 
Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In the kingdom of God, we have a different set of values and beliefs. We actually think that some very strange things are preferable. Things that the unbelieving world around us avoids. We prefer them for one reason. It's because Jesus taught that since his kingdom has arrived, there is a new reality. And the reality is this. You are blessed. You are personally rewarded by God when you make certain decisions and do certain things. Let me just say that again to make sure that you get it. Jesus said, I'm coming here to establish a kingdom. Then he said, oh, by the way, it's already done. You're in the kingdom. Then he said the reality of life in this new kingdom is that God himself didn't just establish principles by which this kingdom is guided, but that he will get personally involved and enrich your lives in incredible ways if you will make certain decisions and follow them up with certain actions. As you read that passage of scripture that somebody hundreds of years ago entitled the Beatitudes, that's what Jesus was talking about. This is the list of things where Jesus said, you want it in a nutshell? You want to know how different this kingdom is? You want to know how backward it really seems? Well, reorient yourselves to this kind of thinking and the world itself will seem backward. But here's what life in the kingdom is like. Make these decisions, do these things. And God the Father himself will get personally involved in your life to enrich your lives in incredible ways. Here's the list. He said, first of all, realize that you're poor and that you need him. Instead of acting self-sufficient, or instead of pursuing self-sufficiency. He said, if you realize that you're poor and that you need him, and you confess that to him, that you will end up inheriting his kingdom. Now get the irony. You start out poor. Poor enough that you finally own up to the fact that I need God in this here life of mine. When you confess that to him, there will be some time that transpires for sure after that. But the end result is that instead of being poor, the kingdom that God promised to his son Jesus becomes yours. I don't know what the word for you uh, is when you inherit a kingdom, but I think it's king. Right? I mean, who's the person who inherits a, a, a kingdom? They become a king or a queen, right? I'm not, I don't care what you do with that, how far you run with that. I'm just saying that Jesus said, let me paint a picture for you. When you finally understand how poor you are and you come to God and say, I need your help, he says, how about this? We'll turn this whole thing around the other direction. Instead of being poor, you will inherit my very kingdom. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to see you come real close to making shipwreck of your faith by running that idea to its furthest possible extremes. So here's what I think. If you stop just shy of shipwreck of the faith, you'll be in the sweet spot. You'll be right there really reaping exactly what it is that Jesus was trying to convince us of when he said, you'll inherit the kingdom. You'll get the thing that was promised to Jesus. Whatever it is that God had dreamed for his son, he said, it's yours. If you will finally wake up and realize that you're poor and you need him, you confess that, you get the kingdom. Backwards, 
Ooh, I like backwards. How's that for not being poor? You'll get what was promised to Jesus by God the Father. Well, tell me more about this kingdom, Pastor Cliff. I think I'm going to like it. Yeah. Second thing he said about the kingdom, he said, why don't you do this? Why don't you make this decision and follow up on it with your actions? He said, mourn the brokenness of this world right alongside God. Look at this world of ours, see it like he sees it, and begin to mourn the brokenness of this world right alongside God. And what will God do as a result? He will personally invest himself in easing your soul and bringing happiness to you when you quit chasing it. See, he said, if you will invest yourself in the business of mourning the brokenness of this world, that frees God to now start pursuing joy for you. You mourn, God comforts. You get this, this is tricky. If you're happy, if you're delirious, you can't be comforted. So a few weeks ago, Ken, you shot this big bull, right? This big bull elk. Fantastic day, wasn't it? I mean, by the look on your face in the picture, you were having an awfully good time, right? Yeah, fantastic. Picture of you and your son, KJ, right there. Was KJ making his way over to comfort dad? Oh, poor dad. Poor dad. Dream just came true. The day you'd been, it was high five all the way, wasn't it? Absolutely. Here's why. Because you didn't need to be comforted that day. No, no comfort needed. Yeah. Just thinking about the bull already this morning, a couple times you've grinned. You looked at it before you left the house, didn't you? You went out in the garage and looked, I know. Yeah. Yeah. No comfort needed for this guy, but here's what it means. It means that God is not going to come and comfort Ken today. The Beggs family, over across town, over across the river, and they're going to be comforted today. The God, with all of the power and all of the love, is going to make his way, has already done so, to that family's home. And they're going to still cry, and they are still going to miss Hazel. But there is going to be a sense deep in their hearts that it is going to be okay and that it's better than okay with Hazel right now because she is with our God. She's received the goal of her faith, the thing she's been hanging on to for years, the hope that there really is a better place than this one. And that's going to be enough for the Beggs family. And they are going to say that in the middle of all of these tears that God has been present and He is comforting them. Listen, it's not just when you lose a loved one. When, when your heart becomes affected by the brokenness of this world, when it starts to bother you that this thing seems to be coming apart at the seams right at our fingertips, God himself says, now you see it like I do. Let me help. He comes and he brings his comfort. See, if, if you've been chasing comfort, happiness, joy your whole life, He'll just let you keep chasing that. But you never can chase it down. Not for long, can you? He says, how about this? Why don't you just stop in your tracks and say the world is what it is. And begin to mourn that the way God himself does. God says, tell you what, you mourn, I'll comfort. 
Listen, friend, there's going to be a time in your life when you need some comfort that you cannot manufacture on your own. God says, I'll do that. You mourn, I'll comfort. He also said, why don't you make this a value that you then follow through on? Humble yourself. Instead of acting like you're such a big deal or complaining, whining, sulking that everyone else doesn't seem to understand what a great, awesome, fantastic person you are. It's the opposite of what the world around us teaches us. The world around us teaches us uh, you've got to self-promote. You've got to put yourself out there. Take care of number one. The kingdom's backwards. And in the kingdom, Jesus said, humble yourself and quit trying to convince the whole world you're such a big deal. Because the one person who really needs to be convinced that you're such a big deal already gets it, and it's God himself. He values you. He loves you. He puts you and your needs above his own. He said, I would trade my son Jesus for you, all of you. He says, humble yourself. The humble, he says, will become a very big deal because they already are in the eyes of the Father. And, and strangely enough, Jesus goes on, and so do the apostles, to promise that later on, later on, God himself will not only make, not only will he view you as such a big deal in his eyes, he says, I'll lift you up so that other people do too. Now, I don't get this, and I don't want to chase it. I just want to trust it. But here's a spiritual principle taught in God's word, both Old and New Testament. Humble yourself in the sight of God, and in due time, he will lift you up. I don't know what the time is. I don't know how high he's going to lift me, and I don't know who's going to be watching. So I'm not going to pursue it, but I'm going to trust it that it's taught in both Old and New Testaments. Humble yourself in the eyes of the Lord, and in due time, he will lift you up. I don't know how high you can climb the ladder. I don't know how well you can promote you, but um, I think God's got to beat. So he says, why don't you do this? Let the gas out of the balloon for a minute. Just deflate this just a little bit. Realize who you are with your own brokenness, faults, and weaknesses, and own it. Just be that before God. And he says, you know what I can do with the broken and the messed up and the flawed and the weak? You have no idea what I can do with the broken, the messed up, the flawed, and the weak. Why don't you let me do it? You humble, I will exalt. Humble yourself. He said, humble yourself and take your place as a servant in this kingdom. And guess what? His personal involvement is that you will end up heir to that kingdom as though you deserved it, as though you were a king by birth. Two promises thus far that get you the kingdom. Anybody starting to get the goal of this thing? You know what God wants for you? His kingdom. It's his, it's his desire, it's his dream that you inherit the kingdom of his son. Next thing on the list, he said, how about this? You, you change your values and then you follow through on them. You make a decision and then you follow up with actions and let me get personally involved in blessing and enriching your life. He said, do it this way. Deeply desire personal righteousness for you and justice for the larger world. As you're reading the Beatitudes, you come across the one that talks about Depending on the translation you read, righteousness or justice, it's really a word that kind of has two sides to it. And, and the, the form of the word, one form of the word means personal righteousness. If you personally desire to become a good man, if you personally desire to become a godly woman, you can have that. He says, but the other side of the word is justice on a larger scale. 
that if, if you decide that what you want to pursue in this world is that, is that what is fair and right and good happens in your circle of influence, that can happen too. So let's just take them both since we don't know exactly which way he meant it because I think he really did mean both. If you desire personal righteousness for you, you can have it. If you desire justice in your sphere of influence, he'll use you to bring it about deeply desire personal righteousness and justice in the larger world. He says, here's what will happen as a result. God will personally see to it that you are satisfied because God is working toward those things and you're going to end up partnered up with God and walking in step with him. And my guess is that's a very satisfying experience to not feel like you are at odds with God or like you have to hide from God or like you hope that he just doesn't notice you, but that you are in lockstep with him and you just got that rhythm going, baby, where it's you and him step by step together in this world. When you look at its brokenness, you start finding ways to make it right instead of the world just becoming its own victim. And by and by, he changes you talking as you walk along the way and changes your heart and purifies you and transforms you from the inside out so that you really can be used by him to bring justice to the world around us. Do you know that the masses are crying that there's no justice? How about we start doing what's right in this world, Christians? That every time people bump into us in our circle, they say, well, I know a place, I know a guy, I know a gal where it's done right. How about we bring about justice? We, we, we make this the league of justice. We bring that about by pursuing personal righteousness, transformed by God's Holy Spirit within so that we start to make a difference in this world around us. Know this, there will never be justice on a broader scale until lots and lots and lots of people start pursuing personal righteousness. You're not going to become a better person because you live in a better world. This world will become better because you become a better man or a better woman, transformed by God and by the power of His Holy Spirit living within you. That's the secret. That's the plan for the kingdom, is that the world is turned inside out because a bunch of people get turned inside out one by one by one by one the transforming power of his Holy Spirit. Here's another thing on the list. He said, how about this? How about you show other people mercy instead of judging them? That's the end of the sermon. Go home and live it. It should probably be the sermon every day or some part of it every day for all of us. The one we preach to ourselves. Hey, give people a break, would ya? Um, Aristotle or Socrates, I never can remember, said this. Be kind, because everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. How about instead of assuming the worst of everyone coming down the street, we instead assumed that they were fighting a very hard battle. They just needed one friend, one person who didn't judge them, one person who gave them the benefit of the doubt, one person who prayed for them, one person who tried to join them in their fight for justice. So how about showing other people mercy instead of judging them? The reward will be that Jesus will treat you exactly the same, and so will his Father. Did you get that? If instead of judging, you show mercy, you get mercy. But the opposite is true, and we better look at that. Incidentally, Jesus didn't spend much time talking about punishment. 
for every little human fault, failure, or sin. Jesus doesn't talk a whole lot about punishment. There's some of that in the Gospels, but he didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about punishment for every little human fault or failure or sin. But when it comes to mercy versus judgment, he spoke about the penalty very loudly and clearly. And what he taught is this, the reward for showing other people's mercy is that he'll treat you exactly the same. And the punishment for refusing to show others mercy is that he will treat you exactly the same. We get justice, don't we? I show mercy, I get mercy. I judge you, I get judged. I'm especially mean and cruel in my judgment. God will be especially mean and cruel in his judgment. Jesus said there's a measure by which he will judge us. It's just the measure that you use on other people. It's a very bad day for some of us, isn't it? But it's getting ready to become a very good day for all of us. Because we're in the kingdom, baby. That means that we live by the inside-out rules, by the backward rules. And instead of judging, we show mercy. A couple more on the list, handful more. He said, uh, how about this? How about you seek a heart that is pure? Or maybe another word for it is unified instead of divided. Um, let's, let's think of pure in the sense of containing only one thing, like pure gold or like pure water. How about this? Um, you're out mowing your lawn. It's hot because you may have noticed it gets hot in the LC. You guys didn't tell me this before I moved here. That's ridiculous. It's like 112 every day. I don't know what the deal in the summer. Whew. Um, so Kevin mows my lawn. Yay. <laughs> uh, but when you're mowing yours, you want something. <laughs> Just lost them, didn't I, Laura? It's all gone. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing something outside when it's really hot, other than water skiing. And uh, you just think, man, I would really like a glass of water. It's this cliff, you know, doesn't have to mow his lawn, <laughs> doesn't have anything to do. I can just be your little personal water boy. And so I come over there and I hand you a tall glass of cold water. Your assumption is that that's pure water and man, that is going to taste so good. What if I tell you it's mostly pure water? Just one drop of raw human sewage in it, but only one. How many want the mostly pure drink of water now? It does not matter how hot or how big your yard is, huh? Pure in that sense that there's only one thing in the glass, pure water. He said that the pure in heart gain something from God. That when we start seeking this business of heart purity, that God takes it personally, gets personally involved in finding a way to enrich your life. Here's what he said, that if you will let him purify your heart, it will begin to get unified. And when you get this new heart, you'll also get new eyes and you'll begin to see God in this world instead of always seeing what's wrong with it. How would you like to have a new perspective? Are you tired of the bad news? Are you tired of watching the news every day and seeing ah out there? Well, guess what, people? There's a lot of ah out there. But there's a new way of looking at the world. Not pretending that it isn't horrible out there. Not pretending that there isn't violence and brokenness in new and, and horrible forms. But there is, there is a, a, 
an experience for the people of God whereby something begins to dominate our view when we look at the world. And it's not the rottenness of the world. It's just that once he's purified our hearts, we have eyes for him. And so wherever we look, we end up seeing God. And so as we look at this broken world around us, you know what? We see God in there. We see God in that world. We don't see it as a God-forsaken world. We see it as a place where God himself has rolled up his sleeves and said, come on, let's get to work and let's, let's make this place new like I said it would one day become. Instead of being discouraged by all the rotten horribleness out there, when your heart is purified, you get a new set of eyes as well and they can see God everywhere you look. And when you start to see a world where God's getting active, you're going to see a world that you kind of want to get out there into. So this world where you have to hide from it, right? The world where you want to go and roll up your sleeves and work with God and, and making it even more of what he wanted. Can you imagine that God is out there in that world right now while we're gathered in here? God is out there in that world because he loves it. And he said, if you'll let me purify your heart, then all of a sudden you're going to get a new set of eyes. And when you open them, you're just going to see me everywhere you are. He said, blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Not just later in heaven, here in the kingdom. You can see it. Pure heart. You got to understand this. When, when, you, when you get that pure heart and you get those new eyes, you're going to quit crying. Where's God in this mess? Because you'll see that he's been right in this mess with us all along. And you will find peace. See, the, the pure heart is the key to the kingdom of peace. You want peace in your heart? Then you've got to have purity of heart. Yes, you will still exist in this broken world, but you will be living in the reality of heaven. You and God really together bringing his kingdom to this earth. He also said that people who work for peace in this world get his attention and his personal involvement in their lives. He said, work for peace in this world and you will be so unlike the rest of the world that people will think you're from a different one. Let me say that again. You work for peace in this world and you will be so unlike this world that people will think you're from a different one. You say, those people must be from God. They must be the children of God. Because they actually quit talking about peace and started living at peace. How about this one? He said, uh, make a decision, follow up on it. God gets personally involved in enriching your life. He says, how about you decide to get morally courageous instead of morally camouflaged? Morally courageous instead of morally camouflaged. See, if you really start living according to moral courage, you will stick out like a sore thumb in this world, but you will blend in very well in the kingdom of heaven. I've told you before, when, uh, uh, when I tuck my kids into bed at night, uh, we have this ritual, we pray this prayer, and Luke's now old enough that he asks me for it. You like the ritual, don't you, bud? Up here again, come on, up here again. Unannounced, unannounced, I didn't warn you this time. That way you don't get stage fright. Yep. Uh, this is Luke. Everybody, hi to Luke. Luke, hi to everybody. Okay. Um, so Luke, uh, it's, they're not here. It's bedtime. It's me putting you to bed. Okay. And so then I pray the prayer and I ask for three things. Um, ask God to give our family a long lasting legacy among his people and that the legacy will, um, 
consist of three things. What's the first one? Service. What's service, Luke? Helping people. That's right. You have to say it loud because they really are here. Okay. Uh, number two is moral courage. That's right. And what is moral courage? Big and loud. Okay, when you yell at your sister, it's a lot louder than that. Okay? <laughs> so let, let's try it because, um, yeah, because, see, Jim's on the back row back there, and he just went like this, and he's trying to hear you. So moral courage is doing the right thing even when you're afraid. Okay, and what's the last thing that we pray for? Christian virtue. And what's virtue? Not just... Well done, buddy. Have a seat. Yeah. Moral courage. Luke, you did fantastic, bud. Okay. Moral courage is saying, I'm going to do the right thing, even when it's difficult, even when there's pressure to do the other thing, even when it feels like, oh, this is going to cost me. Moral courage is doing the right thing, even when I'm afraid or even when it's difficult. But Jesus said that when we become morally courageous in this world, instead of morally camouflaged, just blending in with whatever's going on at the time, that you inherit something, that you gain something, that he does something for you. He said that you blend in well in heaven. In other words, you start getting fit for your eventual home. Last one's this, and it's hard to hear. And I didn't want to preach about it, but it's in the Bible. And when I skip stuff, you should get mad at me and uh, tell me I'm not being faithful. This is part of the message that Jesus spoke when he said, hey, I came to institute a kingdom. And it's backwards. It's inside out. It's different than anything else that you've ever experienced. But it's the new normal. And here's what he said. He said that God will get personally involved in enriching your life when you are so clearly Christian that other people can't stand it. That was the, the part at the end where he said, when people mock you and persecute you and so forth. Now listen, you got to get this. I am not, nor will I ever, say, go be mean and ugly Christians who use your religion as an excuse to be mean and hateful to people. Duh. We're not going to live like that in this world, right? We're just not. I mean, there's enough people who are really committed to that worldview that they got that they got it done for us all, okay? We don't need any more mean, hateful, long-faced Christians. But Jesus said, you have to understand that the rest of the people in this world don't like it when you say that self-sufficiency is a myth, that everybody needs God. He said, go live your life in, in so clearly demonstrating that you need God that the people who say, I would rather be self-sufficient are bothered by the way you live. You don't have to attack them. You don't have to argue with them. Just live your life dependent upon God and other people will be bothered by it. He said, people can't stand it when you refuse to act like there's nothing wrong with this world. When you begin to grieve its brokenness. When you say, this world is not at all what God was hoping for. People sometimes take that as a personal attack because we've made this world this way. Listen, Christian, he said, why don't you grieve the brokenness of this world instead of being mad about it? You hear me? You hear what I'm saying? 
He said, why don't you grieve the brokenness of this world instead of being angry about it? Don't we have enough angry voices in the world? Yeah. He said, how about this? Why don't you just mourn it? There'll be plenty of people who tell you that um, you're not fighting the right fight. You should stand up. It's hard for me to stand up when I'm mourning, isn't it? Hard for me to fight a fight when I'm mourning. Strangely, I have a hard time in this passage of Scripture looking for the, finding the call to arms where he tells me, stand up, fight, fight, fight. He said, be grieved by the world and its brokenness, not made mad by its brokenness, but sorrowful. He also said people can't stand those who act like pride and, and, and self-promotion are no good. Because the world tells us you should be proud. He said that the world hates the pious. Now, most of us hate the pious too. <laughs> um, we just do. Because we think that the word pious means full of self-righteousness. But that's not what the word means. The word pious means that you are righteous. But see what the, what the unbelieving world does with our truth? When you say, I am going to let God make me righteous. And by the power of his spirit, I'm going to live as a righteous man or a righteous woman or a righteous teen or a righteous child in this world. The world's going to turn around and say, you just think you're so much better than us, don't you? No. They say, you're full of self-righteousness. You say, no. I'm filled with his spirit. The world hates the merciful. It says that we're weak. They hate anyone who talks like they can commune with God or hear from him, let alone see him. The world hates those who quit talking about wanting peace and actually lay their arms down because the world's looking for a fight. They hate those who do what's right because without saying a word, our actions end up accusing their consciences. Well, gosh, Pastor Cliff, you were talking like this kingdom was a great place. And then at the end, you said it, people don't like it. Right. Because that's what Jesus said. He said, if you believe and you decide, then God himself gets personally involved in enriching and blessing your life. Yes, people, unbelieving people around you won't like it. And then Jesus offers this kind of um, quiet, tough on the side. Other people aren't going to like it tough. Too bad. He said, if you live for me, if you live out the reality of this kingdom, God himself, God the Father, is going to enrich your life in ways that go beyond your experience thus far. I wonder uh, how many kings and queens in the building? Okay, some of you are getting it. <laughs> okay, we'll ask again later. Um, most of us have been living our whole lives kind of getting by, right? Just kind of getting by. Whether we're talking financially, emotionally, whatever. Just kind of getting by in this world. Jesus said, there's a kingdom. It's for you. If you want to inherit it, if you want to gain it, if you want to live its realities, if you want to reap its blessings... You live according to its design. And it's backwards. This, it, I was reading this one day and it really kind of dumbstruck me. I, I thought, I don't have to know. I don't have to memorize any of this stuff. All I have to do is 
walk out the door and do the opposite of what occurs to me and I'm probably living for God. Hey, that'll work, <laughs> won't it? Eh, to a certain extent. His word teaches us there's a richness of life. There's a sense of well-being for you that you have not yet come to enjoy and experience if you have not yet begun to live according to the backwards rules of this kingdom. Where instead of being proud, you're humble. Where instead of being angry and fighting, you mourn. Where instead of grabbing, you let go. And you end up receiving a kingdom. Let me ask you a question this morning as we end. What part of your life have you been getting backwards? What part of your life is really inside out, as defined by the kingdom? The kingdom is backward. It's inside out. Jesus said it's here among us. He said we are to live in this new reality. And when we do, God himself will get actively involved in rewarding us. He said, listen, chase the kingdom, you get the rewards. You don't have to chase the rewards. Chase the kingdom, you get the rewards. Because you can't lay hands on the rewards alone. You've been trying to do that all the rest of your life. Trying to get all the goodies, right? Nope, just me. Everybody else in here is living right. Okay. Uh, he said, chase the kingdom, not the rewards, because you can't lay hands on the rewards. You've been trying to secure those all the rest of your life. How's that work for you? But he said, if you chase the kingdom, you get that and the rewards too. And look at the list. He said, if you have a spiritual need... It'll get met. If you have a certain attitude toward the world, you'll be satisfied. If you take the humble place of a servant, you get elevated. If you desire personal righteousness, you'll receive that. If you desire justice, you'll begin to work it out in this world. If you desire mercy, you'll get to have enough of it to give away. If you desire a pure heart, you will see God. If you want real peace, you can have it. If you exhibit moral courage, you'll stick out like a sore thumb somewhere, but you'll blend in so well with God himself. It's just like you fit with him. Which area of your life is glaringly unlike the kingdom? Which part of your life might need to be turned inside out or, or shifted into reverse? Which part of your life are you getting backwards? If you want some part of your life turned inside out, talk to God as we pray about how you've been approaching it all wrong and ask him to get personally involved in your life in two ways. Number one, helping you find true north. Let's get the compass straightened out here, right? So that what, so that this backwards kingdom now is, is the new forwards and the rest of the world takes its place on the periphery. True North is life as defined by Jesus in the kingdom of God. Ask him to do that, to help you find your bearings. And number two, ask him to do for you what you cannot do for yourself, which is change your heart so that you fit in this kingdom. If you do that, if you ask him to help you get your bearings and then ask him to change your heart, he will then come and live inside of it. And by the power of the God, you can live in the reality of the kingdom. I want one thing for the LC Valley. I want it to look like the kingdom of heaven. Don't you?
How many, how many of you have lived here, I mean, grew up here? This, this is home and has been. Hand, keep them up, hands in the air. Okay, all right, keep your hands up. How many people have lived here longer than five years? Keep them up. Okay, all right. And the rest of us are newcomers. Please trust us sooner or later, please. Um, we came here to help make the valley the kingdom of God. But those of you who have been here a long time, what is it that you've been praying for this place? Haven't you been praying that it would become a bit more like heaven? Haven't you been praying for peace? Haven't you been praying that the poor would have something to eat? He said those things become a reality when we start living like the kingdom is here. Why don't you stand with me, bow your heads, close your eyes. I know I preached a long time today, but but in all fairness, I only preached about one-tenth of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, so take it up with him, okay? Bow your heads and close your eyes and pray with me. Lord, I want your kingdom to be right here. I believe that it's real in heaven. It's harder for us to believe that it can actually come to earth. Thank you, Jesus, for describing it in ways that, that we can understand, ways that make, us, make sense to us. The Lord, living these things in this world is going to be exceptionally difficult. Quite frankly, some of us were just looking for some relief, not another project. But some this morning heard your voice and are saying, I, I see one area of my life that Jesus addressed that needs to be turned inside out. One area of my life where I've been getting it backwards. And as of today, I want to go forward with Jesus into his kingdom. Why don't you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed just real quick. God spoke to you today, and you say, there's one area of my life that was in reverse, but I'm putting her in drive. We're going forward with God. I'm going to live as, as he has taught me. Pastor, will you pray for me? Just slip your hand up in the air and right back down, okay? If you heard from him, excellent. Yeah, good, good. Lord, just look at all the hands and look at all the hearts. For those who reached your direction this morning, I pray for not just not just faith to believe that this stuff is true, but the courage to go and live it. Power by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, if you'll empower every person in this room that raised their hand today, the LC is going to look a lot more like heaven, a lot more like your dream one week from now. So do it, I pray. In your name, amen kingdom of heaven is yours. Go and live its reality. So may you know the blessings of God this week. Amen.